official K1 podcast, K1 Battlecast. Oh, the Slugfest! You'll get news, fight reviews, and fighter interviews. Oh, the Battlecast! And now, your hosts, Michael Shamero and Jonathan Shea. It's good night, Irene! Hello, everyone, and a warm welcome back to K1 Battlecast. Happy New Year! We made it! We officially stepped across the threshold into January 2024, and I could not be more excited because today, as promised, we are going to give you the full uncut interview with the legendary Super Samoan, Mark Hunt. Now, Mark Hunt is not just a fighter. He's an icon whose journey through the ups and downs of the fighting world has captivated fans globally. In this candid conversation, Mark opens up to Michael about his remarkable career, sharing insights into his iconic K1 fights as well as the personal struggles and achievements that have shaped his journey. So sit back, relax, and get ready for a dive into the heart of K1 with Mark Hunt. It's an episode you won't want to miss. Now joined by the legend himself, the 2001 K1 World Grand Prix champion, Mark Hunt. Mark, great to talk to you, brother. Hey, Mark, how you doing, man? Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah. Mate, so many memories come flooding back every time I speak to you. Let's let's go back to 2001 in the seaside town of Fukuoka, Japan. This was an historic night that fans will never forget, the epic fight between you and Ray Sefo in the K1 <laughs> Repa Charge for a place in the K1 Grand Prix. Um, mate, I've got to say, that was my first time ever commentating K1 International, and what a debut it was for me, a baptism of fire to see what is still called the greatest K1 heavyweight fight of all time. Tell me your memories of that epic fight against Ray. Well, that was a great uh, night. That's what actually, I think that's what started my uh, rise in Japan, and that's um, that, well, that fight there, even though I lost to Ray, uh, really uh, showed the Japanese fans my fighting spirit. I got my bell rung a few times, like a few times in that fight. But, uh, you know, nonetheless, it was still, uh, I ended up uh, being the victor of the night, which is good. I lost to Ray uh, in the fight, but he couldn't continue. So, um, you know, uh, I think it was a great night for me. It started off my um, career in Japan. So, yeah. But you, you were trained by a guy called Harpe Nuranoa back then. And I remember Harpe speaking to him and saying to him, how do you take someone like Mark Hunt and make him a killer? And he said to me, Chevello, our game plan is simple. Go in there, try and take the guy's head off, try and shut down his body and get out of there as quickly as we can. Was that the game plan you guys had for Ray as well? I mean, you know that Ray could absorb enormous punishment and give it back. And Ray actually said in an interview years later that you presented a style he hadn't seen before because he didn't expect you to come out so aggressively as you did from the opening bell. Was that the game plan all along? Well, that was, yeah, the game plan was like, look, man, it was like three rounds of, of uh, K1. What else can you do in, uh, you know, nine minutes? Uh, you know, that's all you have to do is go out and go balls deep and go hard and try and or knock the person out. Because if, if it's tournament fighting, you know, try and get a, as less injuries as you can and move on to the next fight. So, um, yeah, that's what that's pretty much what I tried to do. And, uh, you know, my gas thing didn't last that long, but um, it was a great night. <laughs> it was a great night in the end. What was the deal with the, the famous dropping of the hands and allowing each other just to tee off with three shots? That's just called uh, tiredness. <laughs> <laughs> that's called tiredness. And uh, I didn't have much of a camp, to be honest. So, uh, But, yeah, that's that's all I could do. I was, I was trying my best to put Ray out of there. But, you know, Ray has been one of the pioneers of sport from this side of the world. So it was it was a big, big ask. It was a hard ask. But, um, 
In the end, we, we lost the match, but we still got to the to the to the Grand Prix in the end. I've got to ask Mark. Um, you know, the year before Ray was runner up in the K1 World Grand Prix, so he was top two in the world. When you were matched against Ray at the Repid Charge, uh, you having won the K1 Oceania, um, did you ever feel like K1 was setting you up as cannon fodder? You know, obviously they were hoping that Ray would win and go through to the Grand Prix because he was so popular at the time. Did you ever feel like maybe you were being set up as, you know, cannon fodder just to get Ray through? I, I didn't look at it that way at the time. I just, you know, I got a call from Dixon. He was the manager for both of us at the same time. Um, and I was actually um, at a party in Auburn. I was at a party at Auburn. Um, and I was still smoking cigarettes and drinking. So we were at a party and drinking. And then Dixon called me about this match. And I was like, this, wow. But the only catch was, um, he said, you're fighting at uh, December. Would you like to fight? And I said, yeah, of course. Uh, the only catch is it's Ray. And on this, oh, okay, well, you know, I'm, you know, if he doesn't, if he's all for it, then so am I. I, I didn't look at it as like K1 was setting me up. It was just, for me, it was another fight. It was another match. Um, um, and, you know, it, it was a fight with Ray. So at the end of the day, I had three to three weeks to get ready for this match and um, did the best I could. So I was ready to go and went in there uh, 100%. Um, didn't know it would turn out that way, but in the end, it worked out well. It did, you know. In in the end, you beat Ray. Oh, you didn't beat Ray, but oh, Ray couldn't continue Ray, yeah. because he was injured. Actually, uh, just the the audience listening, Ray actually was suffering triple vision backstage, which is the reason why he couldn't go on to fight in the final of that rapid charge. Mark, of course, went on fought Australia's Adam Watt, knocked out Adam Watt, and made it through to the final uh, of the K1 World Grand Prix, which you eventually won. And we'll talk about it in a moment. I want to say though, Mark, you know, ha having both of us have been very close to Ray Sefo over the years. We've seen Ray's tremendous successes, but and I say this with brotherly love for Ray, but I feel that after he fought you in Fukuoka in 2001, that Ray Seppo was never the same after that. Would you tend to agree? Because Ray had a lot of mixed success after that fight against you, and I just don't believe that physically and maybe even spiritually that Ray was ever the same after that absolute slugfest against you. I don't know if that's the case, to be honest, uh, Michael. With, with, but but I understand what you're saying. And every every once, like every fighter has a point in their life when they fight someone, and it takes their soul away, and it takes a lot of a lot out of them. Um, I understand what you mean by exactly by that. By when I fought in MMA against uh, Stipe Miocic, you know, um, a time um, where I didn't do the weight cut well, and I got really badly punished. And that's when you when I realized, well, that took a lot out of my life. You know, never to come underweight. To do to try and cut weight like 11 kilos a day before and try and compete with the best fighters in the world so uh your question is, is right now uh, yeah I, I don't know how ray took it but um you know that's that's i understand what you're saying you know i want to mention that you, you talk about weight and i just want to throw back a story here for the fans listening around the world so the first time i ever met you which was backstage at crown casino in melbourne uh, I think it might have been before your fight against Chris Chrysopolides, and you were managed by a lovely lady, the, the dearly departed Lucy Tui back then. Yeah. And Lucy took me backstage and said, Mike, I want you to meet my new fighter, Mark Hunt, this Samoa New Zealander. And I went backstage, Mark, and I remember you sitting there in the in the dressing room. You were listening to a Walkman. Uh, for any of you kids listening who don't know what a Walkman is, please Google it. It was very important <laughs> to us uh, 25 years ago. You are listening to a Walkman, sitting there by yourself, and uh, – Lucy introduced me to you, and I think you just looked up, you nodded and said g'day. And, Mark, I've got to be honest. I thought to myself at the time, who the hell is this big palooka? This guy's going to get knocked out by Chrysopolides. He's He's got no personality. He looks lazy. He looks overweight. Mate, 
none of us thought back then that you would go on to become a K1 World Grand Prix champion. Did you think back then, when you were backstage about to fight Chris Chrysopolides in front of a thousand people at Crown, that one day and not too far away, you would become the greatest heavyweight kickboxer on the planet? Could you have imagined yes. that? Yes, of course. I always, I always thought I was the best fighter in the world. I just needed a chance to prove it and go through that. It's just, you know, that was the beginning. I think I was like 24 or something years old. I was young. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I think I was maybe younger, but that, that was, uh, I've always felt in my heart I was, I was a better fighter than every fight, everybody. And I've always felt this way. Um, I just, I just, I might not have looked like the best fighter in the world, but inside my mind and my heart, I was. <laughs> Mark, let's go to the 2001 K1 World Grand Prix history in the making. It's a superb eight-man lineup, and uh, you're facing Jerome LeBanner in the quarterfinals. Now, I've got to ask here, because I think you were put up as cannon fodder in the Grand Prix. If you remember back in 2001, Mark, the press conference, the pre-fight interviews, it was all Jerome LeBanner, Jerome LeBanner, all day, all night. The media focus... The promotional focus, K1's focus was all on Jerome LeBanner winning finally his first ever K1 World Grand Prix. And, mate, you've got to admit that really you were looked at as cannon fodder for Jerome in that quarterfinal. Well, I don't know. I didn't look at it that way. I just uh, I didn't feel that way. I uh, certainly didn't uh, in myself. But, you know, if that's the way they did things, that's the way they did things. I didn't see it that way. I thought I was... I was excited to be there. I had a, a great training camp. I'd st stopped smoking cigarettes for eight weeks. <laughs> I was ready to, <laughs> I was ready to go, mate. You know, <laughs> so I don't know how they looked at it, but I looked at it differently. Now, fans will forget this wasn't the first time you'd fought Jerome, was it? It was the second time you fought Jerome. Yes, I fought. Tell Jerome us about earlier. the first one. It was in Paris. Am I correct? No, the first time was in um, Nagoya. I was Nagoya, correct? Yes, that was the first time I fought ever in, in K1. Um, uh, in the big stage, I went from a thousand seater crown to um, to uh, N uh, Nagoya, I think it was, and um, it was a uh, forty thousand seater, and it was huge. It just blew my mind away because I went from a small show to to all the cameras and lights being on you. It was it was it was a real eye opener for me, to be honest. How um, how serious it was. So Jerome beat you in Nagoya. Now you rematch in the quarterfinals of the Grand Prix. Did yep. you feel before the fight that you had Jerome's number? I mean, did you have a specific game plan and thought it's only a matter of time before I get him? Well, you got to remember that I picked him. I picked him, and in, 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 in um, when we chose out of the hat, you know, there, there was there was two spots. Really, that's taken. that's interesting, Mark, because I always thought Jerome had picked you. No, it was the opposite. I wow. Okay, there you go. There was a, there was a, another four spots on the opposite side of the draw, but uh, I think. The fans actually kind of found found me kind of weird. Like this guy's gone and chosen the favorite. I told yeah. you I was. Um, <laughs> I never lost a rematch at that time, and I was. I always believed that that I was the best fighter on the planet. So I chose Jerome, and that's what stirred up a lot of these these uh, a lot of these uh, the press. They said, "Wow, he's gone and chosen Jerome." <laughs> sure, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> the build up was amazing. I remember being in the hotel. Uh, and you guys were mobbed by by media, by cameras, hundreds of cameras and microphones put in your face by the media back then. And someone had told you, I remember, that uh, Jerome hits as hard as a truck. And you said the story back to this journalist, and I don't know if it's true or not. You, you actually said, I've been hit by a truck for real, and I got up after it. And the Japanese just ate that up, mate. It was It was huge. 
Yeah, there was a lot of stuff about me that uh, that I didn't like sharing, want to share publicly, uh, to be honest. And, uh, you know, like I said, with my book coming out in the documentary about my life, that's why I, I, I couldn't talk that much because I wasn't really into speaking about my life and, my, and, and how I was. But um, that, that only came out later to like when I started sharing my life story. And, um, you know, fighting was actually a blessing for me. You know, God sent me to do to become a fighter because of my background and, and not much people knew about my background until I released my book. Mark, you know, in the, the book is, uh, is so candid. And for those of you that don't have it, please do go to Amazon or your local bookstore and order it. It's called Born to Fight, Mark Hunt. It's an amazing book. And make sure you check out the Mark Hunt documentary as well. I believe it's on, uh, on Prime, on Amazon Prime. It was recently just shown on uh, commercial television in New Zealand. It's done the rounds in cinemas around the world. Do check it out. But Mark, in the book, um, you talk in much detail about your, your childhood and the abuse you received from your father. Um, I won't go into detail it here, but uh, people do read the book. It's 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 quite moving and very heartbreaking. But uh, your background, Mark, from the abuse you suffered, did it allow you to often in your fight career flick a switch uh, inside your head that you maybe visualize what had happened to you when you were young and you could flick that switch because when you're older and you're fighting, you're able obviously to, to defend yourself and some sort of in eternal switch flicked in you when you fought someone like Jerome LeBanner and, and these other K1 monsters. Yeah. I mean, you know, competing and fighting, especially K1 kickboxing um, at the highest level, it's, it's about affliction. Affliction is always, you know, and I, affliction was part of my whole life growing up. You know, that's what I, I did most of my life with my parents or my actually my father you know beating the crap out of us with all sorts of weapons um affliction is part of of uh, of of fighting and it, it actually helped me a lot with actually being able to survive a lot of these uh, combats you know being hurt so much and still being able to continue because it it's sort of you know as a young kid i was able to go somewhere else in my mind and it was like similar to with competing when i was you know, being pounded by the likes of Jerome LeBanner and and these these heavyweight uh, kickboxing fighters, um, it was easier to just change the focus from that area of pain to somewhere else. So, uh, yeah, it actually that's why I felt God put me to, to be a, a a top end prize fighter globally because you know being you know why not get paid for it? That's how you're brought up back into this um, the back end of my life. Well, I mean, I, I felt like it helped a lot of people along the way. A lot of people struggled with life at those times and they still do. Uh, and I feel when they look at someone like me, it inspires them to, to, to look at their lives and say, well, it couldn't be that bad if, if things happen this way. You know, everyone can survive everyone. If they just believe in themselves and they go and do something positive, they don't have to go the other way. Let's talk more about the Jerome LeBanna fight because it, it's one of the most entertaining in history. First round of the fight, Mark, I felt you got beaten 10-9 by Jerome. He was landing the kicks. Um, he was timing everything to perfection. He was sucking you into his game plan. He was setting that metronome and dictating the rhythm. Second round, he starts off very strongly. But uh, then, as I've detailed many times in the past, you flick that switch and you sucked Jerome. You baited Jerome into a good old-fashioned street fight and he took the bait. And he fell for it. And what happens after that is you land, I believe the last time I counted it, was 16. That's 16 unanswered punches that has Jerome out on his feet before he finally falls. Um, tell me about that second round and how you managed to bait Jerome into your style of brawl rather than sticking to his more technical style that he was beating you at. 
Well, that's pretty much like exactly what you said. You know, I lured him into a good old-fashioned Donnybrook. Is that how you call it? <laughs> <laughs> that's what you hey, said. You're right? lifting my lines now. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you said. Like, yeah. So uh, it was exactly how you, you said it. Um, I, I lured him into a rumble, a street fight, and I took advantage of that. I caught him a couple of times, and then it was days, and then I finished him off by that uh, 16 punch combination. So. You move through the semifinals, you take on Stefan Leko, and then the final you take on Francisco Filio. You win both of those by decision. Filio in the final takes an extra round, so it's a four-round win for you. What I love about this, Mark, is that if people had thought you were just a brawler, a slugger before, here you are in the semifinals and the final taking on two technicians, two guys who aren't brawlers, and you outpoint both of them. So really, it did show the full scope of your capability. Uh, who was the harder between Leco and Filio, do you feel? Um, I got more punished by um, um, Francisco. His leg kicks, if you saw my leg after the fight, they're all purple. And that was um, uh, because, you know, he was, his kicking was, um, you know, I think Francisco was a lot more technically sound. He got me a lot more with the leg kicks. They were both technically sound fighters, but I just, uh, my mentality is, you know, my fortitude, mental fortitude is, is, is really high. So, and also my mental capacity for fighting. People realize, like, you, people think that I'm just a brawler. But like you said, when you see me competing, my mind, I can, as a, as a top-end fighter, you've got to be able to cope and change things on, on, the, on the switch, uh, you know, um, in a millisecond. When you see things change or how you kind of try to make, make them move and how you want them to move, that's how things work as a top-end fighter. I wouldn't be able to do that if I was, such, if I was just a brawler. Mate, at the end of the day, you held up the big check. I believe it was $400,000 back then. You were the highest paid kickboxer in history at the time, holding that check. You entered into the pantheon of greats where only a very select few had been before you, those few being Branko Sikatik, Peter Ertz, Ernesto Hust, and Andy Hoog. How did it feel? I mean, at the time and in the aftermath of it, when you got back home to Sydney, how did it feel for you? realizing and did you realize you know you were the k1 world grand prix champion and you were a guy who only really started kickboxing professionally a couple of years maybe three years before that yeah well you know it was a, it was one of my dreams uh, you know reach you know rest in peace to andy hug and Branko sikatek I, I do um you know i feel like i said when i started this journey it was my dream to be the best fighter in the world i watched these guys you know, on a on a DVD, uh, uh, VHS videotape, a long time ago before CDs were out, and I saw these guys at the Grand Prix, and I said, "Wow, this is where the heavyweight kickboxers go in the world," and it was Japan. Um, you know, the only person from this side of the world that started there was was Ray. Then there was Jason, a few other guys. Um, but um, the only winner from this side of the heavyweight was was I, um, and to achieve that was an amazing feat. You know, regardless of K1 being closed out you know not making it globally but um like i said i do feel i achieved the dream on the first go it was um tournament fighting is never easy it's, it's always hard you've got to be physically and mentally strong and you got to you know i don't know what, what drives a person to go through all this um if it's not money to start with you know it's, it's that uh, that the title which is hard to get being tournament fighting there's not many people that can co complete these sort of things and be the best fighter in the world after fighting three of the best fighters in the world. It's not that's not an easy thing. It's 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 really really hard and strenuous on on yourself mentally and physically. Um, it takes a lot out of you. Um, that night after when we had dinner after that we part went to a party. I, I, all I could manage was to go home and, and go to sleep in my hotel. I was that was that tired from that from the output of energy from my body. You know my mind was mentally drained. 
uh, my eyes were so I couldn't, you know, even at, at, at dinner, we had dinner there and it was like, man, I couldn't even, you know, eat. It was, it was hard. There's an old but saying, I, Mark, heavy is the crown. Uh, how difficult was life as a K1 World Grand Prix champion with the extra pressure that was suddenly on you, especially from a media side of things? Because back in those days, guys, the media, mainstream media, was all over these K1 fighters. The fans were were mobbing K1 fighters. How much more pressure was on you and the weight of expectation being the champion? Well, to be honest, like I, I didn't know – what else comes with all that stuff? But then I, later on in life, hindsight, right? I realized and finally found out. But um, like I said, I wasn't ready to, to share my story with the world. You know, I didn't write a book about my life journey and how it got me to this point of being one of the best fighters in K1 um, to winning the title on the first go. It's a, it's not an easy thing to, to share your dirty laundry out to the public. Um, but um, I felt... When I, when I did this, uh, when I wrote the book, well, I actually didn't write it, a ghostwriter, Ben wrote it. When I actually shared my story I, and I was told that I could help a lot of other people. And that's the way I thought about giving back with my life, about sharing my story and saying, well, okay, look, I can speak freely about myself and my life's journey. Um, and I wasn't too, I wasn't ready back then. Okay. As a lot of people saw me go, this guy, he's kind of strange. He's a, you know, the Japanese find this guy kind of weird. He's like us. He doesn't say much. He doesn't do much. And that's because I didn't share my story, Mike. I, I, I was able you know, to share my story later on when I felt it was the right time. So with the K1 days, I, I didn't speak much or say much about it because, I mean, why would I want people to know about my life being you know, beaten by a, a Cretan of a father, um, you know, uh, being starved like an idiot, and um, ended up being – a young thug going around criminalizing the, the community. And once again, folks, do go about hold of Mark's book called Born to Fight. It's got 4.7 out of 5 on Amazon. It's 5 out of 5 on Booktopia, 4.4 out of 5 on Goodreads. It is so highly reviewed and rated. It's it's amazing. And do check out the documentary as well uh, in cinemas and also on Amazon Prime and other broadcasters. Mark, we'll let you go shortly. A few more questions for you, though. You, you had a break for K1 when you pursued mixed martial arts in Pride. You returned to K1. It was a little strange in 2008 to take on Semi Schult. Um, Semi did knock you out with a spinning back kick. What led to the comeback to fight Semi after, you know, you'd finished fighting K1 in 2003 after you beat Gary Goodridge in Las Vegas and then you come back in 2008 just for this one fight against Semi? What led to that return? Well, of course, uh, you know, I started fighting because of money. Um, but as I realised, you know, after winning the K1, a lot of other things are at play here, not just you talking with management, you talking with your, your team, you know, a lot of things are behind the play that, that dictate where you are as a fighter and where you go. Um, you know, the TV stations and all these sort of things. I didn't realize at that time until I started, people started telling me, well, this is how it actually works. You know, um, how people get paid properly, how you as a fighter gets paid. And I'm like, wow, okay. I didn't realize all these things that go on in the back play and how, and how my duty as a fighter or what I'm supposed to do for someone else. You know, the other fighters coming through. My duty as, 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 a, as a pioneer of the sport, how am I supposed to lead these guys and not just try and fight for this title about everything. So my example, like I realized about going through learning about drugs and, and about doing all these things as the champion, it doesn't help. But as a fighter, I understand, okay, so this is how it works. I, I got it. So in order to have that, um, to, to, to come back to fighting, I had to fight semi-short. There was attached to that K1 bout 
was MMA fights because I'd already climbed that mountain of kickboxing. And the only way I was going to get those MMA fights was to fight Shield. You know, I'd, done with, I'd been done with fighting K1 a long time ago. I mean, but um, I took the contract because, like I said, attached to that was my new, my other new passion was MMA fighting. And that's why I did that fight. Um, uh, so I can get the rest of the fights in pride uh, in MMA afterwards um, with semi uh, with with, other, with MMA, which was was the start of my other new journey. So yeah, which is harder, Mark, fighting K one or fighting mixed martial arts? It's all hard. The whole lot of it's hard. Fighting is hard in general, you know. As, uh, uh, but it's got to be, you know, it takes a special person to love that stuff and be able to be be able to do that, want to do that. And now you're gonna. I know. I know. K one, you get hurt a lot more. You know, mentally and physically, because you're you're getting kicked and and the rest of it. Um, but if you're talking about broken limbs, you know, MMA, you know, is also up there with snapping people's their their joints and stuff. But you know, fighting is hard in general. Doesn't matter what it is. It all has its pros and its cons to it. You fought so many great opponents. I've got to ask, who hit the hardest of any opponent you fought in your K1 career? Well, you know, I've I've said it many many times, and it's, 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 it's none of the heavyweight fighters. It's it's life. <laughs> it's life. <laughs> it's life that's what hits you harder than anyone. Any other fighter could do that, but it's life. You know what I mean? That's what hits people the most, and it's how they can deal with it. So fighting for me helped me tackle with life in general. Mark, if all of your K one fights were lost um, to eternity, but only one fight of yours from your K1 career remained for you to be able to show your grandkids one day, which one fight from your K1 career would you hope was preserved for you to show your grandkids? Um, well, that's pretty much my first thought was the fight with Ray, of course, because that's what changed my mind, uh, how I and people perceived me in Japan. Um, it was a hard, because I mean, you don't really learn much from wins, you learn from losses. And that fight I, I learned from even though I did it many, many times afterwards, was taking a fight on short notice against one of the best fighters in the world. You know, <laughs> three weeks of training, um, you know, and um, and it's kind of hard to go and they get battered. You know, even when they asked me after the, in the changing room, they said, oh, Mark, would you like to compete again? My answer is always going to be yes. You know, I'm sitting there with my head ringing and he's saying, I couldn't hear him probably. He says, you want to fight again? I said, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and all I, all I hear is, <laughs> you know, that's that's my mindset at the time of climbing the ladder of, of, of fighting was I'll say yes to everything, you know, and deal with it later. Mark, it has been so wonderful walking down memory lane with you. Thank you so much. You've yes. been an inspiration to so many people. We've learned so many lessons from you and our careers followed a very close trajectory as well from the very start, mate. It's been a, an absolute thrill to be along your side for the last 25 years and, uh, you better believe we've still got a bit left in the tank to offer the world, you and I, mate. And it's, it's great to be we chatting have. with you. It's uh, great to have you. Thanks for having me on the show. And it's only just the beginning for a lot of myself and a lot of the fighting community, especially with contact sport. You know, we're about to do a lot of the changes for the contact sport. Um, and like I said, you asked me about myself, about what as a as, as the, the, the weights of the crown. I, I feel that weight. I know a lot more about what I'm supposed to do with my life and my purpose in life because of fighting. And that's and that's not about how many titles I get out of this because legacy for me is about what you leave for the for others coming through, and that weight is is firmly on here. And regardless of what people say or not, uh, you know we're in a lot of stuff with, with, that's going to change contact sport, not just MMA or kickboxing, contact sport in general. And we're fighting is, for that in, in the courts. So 
Thank you. Uh, amazing. There he is, folks. Mark Hunt, 2001 K1 World Grand Prix champion. Make sure you check out his book, Born to Fight. Uh, grab it. It is amazing. You will not regret it. Born to Fight, the Mark Hunt story, available through all good booksellers worldwide. Mark, thanks a lot, mate. We'll talk again soon. All right, Mike. Thanks a lot. See you, bud. Well, that's a wrap for today's show. We hope you enjoyed it wherever you're tuning in from. Delve deeper into the world of K1 with Mark Hunt's Born to Fight and his documentary, The Fight of His Life. You know, I managed to grab his book, like I mentioned last week, and I'm really enjoying it. And hopefully you can check it out on any of your favorite booksellers. And as far as the documentary is concerned, I really wanted to check it out. Unfortunately, it didn't have success, but hopefully you'll do better wherever you live. And speaking of wherever you live, our listeners hail from all corners of the globe. Japan, the US, Canada, Australia, Belgium, Ireland, Italy, and the Czech Republic, to name a few. And it's really incredible to see such a wide array of K1 enthusiasts. We're very eager to learn about you. Where did you find K1 Battlecast? What was your first K1 memory? And we're even considering a listener-focused episode to delve into your K1 experiences, so please send us an email with your location and any K1 questions for Michael. Curious what thoughts were going through Gary Goodrich's mind when he lost his tooth in the K1 ring, or what were Yoshihiro Sato's experiences when he not only was sent, but when he came back to send one of K1 Max's most fearsome fighters, Astral Traveling? Send your questions to our official email. Who knows? Your curiosity might lead to our next big interview. Our show comes out each Friday, and next week, please tune in for a special K1 Rewind where we revisit the infamous Lecco Buster featuring the intense showdown between Stefan Lecco and Badr Hari. It's an episode you won't want to miss. You can also check out our X account for exclusive artisanal handcrafted tweets, each lovingly created with the meticulous attention to detail you'd expect from our SNS expert, Mr. Kume. You've been listening to K1 Battlecast. Be sure to catch our show every Friday. Bye-bye, everyone.